in hospice, we always have a saying that people die the way they've lived. Yeah, which is really true. Like if you've had someone that's really just been really angry their whole life, there's going to be a little bit more anger that comes out towards the end. Um, but if you have someone that's very much like, um, you know, I have so surrendered to the process and life has just been amazing, but I'm ready to be done. They tend to be smooth, you know. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm super pumped to bring you a conversation I had with Sarah Clement. Sarah is a death doula with over a decade of experience for caring for the dying. She began studying hospice and palliative care while in nursing school and has since served those with advanced illness through the dying process as a private caregiver, an ER nurse, and a traveling hospice nurse. She believes that end-of-life doula role, in addition to hospice services, has the power to create a more peaceful and empowered end-of-life experience for the dying and their families. Sarah uses her knowledge of the dying process to walk the dying and their loved ones through the unknown with education, reassurance, practical support, and loving presence. With a heart-centered approach, she guides the dying to embracing death as the ultimate ceremony of life using holistic techniques, sound, and love. She's guided over 500 people through this process. We had such an unbelievable conversation. I literally had the chills throughout the entire time as she was sharing stories from these experiences. We talked all about the dying process and what it can teach us about living. Give Sarah a follow on Instagram at Sarah Dula, and you can feel free to reach out to her as well with any questions or comments or stories. She's there to talk. Buckle up, enjoy the ride, and get ready for this awesome conversation with Sarah Clement. Sarah, hello. So happy to see you. Happy to see you too. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. Thanks for coming on. You've been someone I've been so excited to get onto this podcast since I launched the podcast. So I'm happy that we're making it a reality. Yeah, me too. I feel like the first time we talked, I was like, man, he asked the best questions. No one's ever asked me these questions. So when you said you had a podcast, I've been looking forward to it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. The first time th- this is when I actually learned a valuable lesson that first time when we met, um, I, I started carrying around my, my microphone and my, my little podcast setup. It's pretty mobile, but I've started carrying it around anytime I know that I might be going somewhere where there could be someone interesting. Cause I'd rather have it than not have it because we totally had an epic conversation. And now this is the best part is we could have another conversation and uncover new things this time. That's awesome. <laughs> And Sarah, now you're entering your third trimester of your pregnancy as well? Well, getting there. Getting 22 there. Weeks. Yep. 22 so, weeks. Yep. 
second That's trimester. Got, that has to be an absolutely crazy process. Yeah, it's wild. I feel like I'm in between worlds with the work that I do and then having this little new life inside of me. It's been so special. Yeah. That's that's insane. I mean, what a incredible contrast to to the work that you do. I want to just dive right into the work that you do because I I found it so absolutely fascinating. I didn't know that there were people like you who do what you do. So can you just start off by sharing a little bit about the work that you do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this work has been done for centuries. It's just coming kind of back full circle now, and it's very much needed. Um, but I'm a traveling hospice nurse, so I work in hospice with people at end of life in that way as a nurse. Um, then I also am an end of life doula, which means I'm a non-medical support person as well. And so pretty much that's just someone who guides people through the dying process um, with education, spiritual support, practical support. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of just there walking hand in hand with people, and it's been absolutely amazing. And I'm excited to share more about that. Yeah, totally. And how long have you been doing this now? This has been several years, right? Yeah, I've been a nurse for, well, since nursing school, probably about 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, My first experience of being with the dying was actually, I thought I wanted to be a midwife. I thought I'd really love to be with birth and Mm -hmm. that spectrum of things. And then I was at um, a clinical nursing school and um, man, it it was a really rough, first introduction of being with death because it was actually a newborn baby Mm. in an ICU unit. I remember my teacher was like, yeah, this is your patient for the day. And she told me that it was a congenital deficit baby and that it was dying and the parents had left it there. So I was like, oh my gosh. She's like, holy crap, that's you. Heavy. And so I'm just like holding this little baby and it was, it was dying as I was holding it. And I was like asking my teacher, what am I to do in this situation? And she was like, you just have to be present and comfort mm-hmm. it and hold it. So my whole clinical shift that day, I just was present with this little baby that was about to take its last breath at any point. Um, and so then that kind of shifted things for me. I was like, okay, I feel like maybe I should get more comfortable with death before I work with birth. But then it's just kind of been since then, I just found I was so interested in hospice and palliative care. Um, Like all of the research that I wanted to do in nursing school was mostly about um, comforting people end of life, studying what dying looks like. And then um, I'll have to take a breath. Yeah. (laughs) Easily winded these days. Yeah, <laughs> you're just creating another life inside of you. So I mean, yeah. oh what's your God. excuse? So energy. <laughs> um, and then I, uh, while I was in nursing school, I decided to become a caregiver. And I met this guy named Wally, and he had Parkinson's disease, um, end stage. And I was with him for about, I'd say, six months through his end of life experience um, as a private caregiver, and that is where I was for sure that this is what I wanted to do. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, he taught me so much. I was able to shadow the hospice nurses as they cared for him too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And and that he was, was your... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so that was your first experience at the end of life with obviously not a, not a newborn baby, but at the end of life with, with somebody older. Yep. Someone older, someone who had fully accepted it, someone who had lived life fully. Like he was such a role model for me. Really? And such a beautiful process. And, you know, even a, two weeks before he passed, he's like, okay, I'm getting close. 
you know, and I was like, um, we, we, do do? (laughs) do, do you find that like we humans know as they're reaching the end, like they, they have a good sense. Yeah. Yep. I, I go, um, very much in, especially nursing care. I'll always ask people, you know, like, do you feel like you're getting closer? And they'll be able to say, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he knew, he said, um, I was going on vacation with my family to Tennessee. And right before I left, he goes, I don't know if I'm going to see you again. Like, I really feel like I might pass before you get back. And I wasn't going to be gone for anything more than a week. And I got back from Tennessee, got a call from his family that he was actively dying and that I needed to get there as soon as possible. And I get there and his whole family is surrounding the bed and the, the room is just filled with light. So peaceful, so beautiful. I came and I said, hi, Wally, I made it. And then within five minutes, he took his last breath and it was like the sigh of relief. It was so beautiful. Oh, I got yeah. chills as you're saying that. That's insane. Yeah. And the the feeling of when death comes into a room and someone takes their last breath, it's like a, it's so palpable. It's almost like people don't know whether to laugh or cry because it's just so it's so magnificent, really. Even if there's so much grief there, there is always this feeling of peace or of relief. Hmm. So when I experienced that, it was it was a game changer for me. Wow. It seems very yeah. moving, like a, a totally moving energy that's just around the palpable. You can feel it. Definitely. Yeah. But and- I would say the journey actually began like as a little girl because I grew up on a farm in Michigan. And I was around life and death there, the cycles of life. And I was very curious about death. Mm-hmm. Like some of my first experiences that I can remember, like recalling are of animals dying and feeling like I had some type of insight into what was happening. Um, even like one time I remember I saw a bird hit the window. I ran outside and I was probably like four or five at this point. And I remember it was, its body was laying there, but I thought that I had seen it fly into the sky. I told my parents about it and they were kind of like, well, I don't know about that, <laughs> you know, like, no, for sure. It's fine. It just flew away. <laughs> wow. So that was like my first encounter that I really remember and always feeling like death is as scary or as ending as it seems like it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, I had like a graveyard when I was a kid, all the farm animals or, you know, bunnies and things. And I would just sit there and contemplate death <laughs> so it's always been in my blood yeah and and it sounds like when you talk about it this way it sounds like it sounds a very beautiful process and and that was a big shift that i had the first time we spoke uh, but when when you're sitting there when, when you just like like you just said when i was sitting there contemplating or thinking about death like it sounds super morbid and like dark and sad how do you view it and and how do you think that it's different than the way that other people view it Yeah, well, my first time really thinking about it that I can consciously remember was at that little graveyard that I had built. My parents owned a golf course as well. And it was like way back in like a tucked back, like wooden area. Um, And I would really love to like create ritual around it. Like I would decorate their graves and stuff. And it was more of like I honored their life. Mm. And I remember like really contemplating like even a caterpillar to a butterfly. Like I thought about that a lot of like, well, maybe like, it seems like the caterpillar died, but then it became a butterfly. Like I never really thought that the end of life was the end. And like, I was aware of that as a kid. And so even when I had like an aunt pass away 
um, or when my grandpa passed away, I remember everyone was like very, very sad. And I was too, I certainly will grieve still and like allow myself to feel all of that that mm-hmm. is human. Um, but I have a sense of it being a new beginning, like a, it's a rebirth in my opinion. Yeah. Interesting. Do you, do you feel like part of your soul or part of your life purpose in this lifetime is to be helping people and facilitate this through this transition? It kind of seems that way from my perspective, but do you feel that? Oh, I feel it so much. Yeah. Um, like one of the things that people usually say to me when I tell them what I do is like, oh my gosh, that must be so depressing or so hard to deal with. Or like, how can you do that? Um, and I always tell people, you know, it might be a little bit cliche, but it feels like a calling. And the reason I feel that is because when I'm doing it, when I'm in that space, um, and I'm doing this work, I feel full of life. Like I mm-hmm. feel like I'm fueled by it. And um, it creates a sense of presence in myself and for others. And that's how I know I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's uh, no, that, that, that is beautiful though. How, how many, how many deaths do you have like a count of how many deaths you've been a part of, or you've been, if you could ballpark you know, it. Like I can give you a ballpark. Yeah. I would say over 500. Over 500. Wow. Yeah. And like to give you kind of like a range of what I would do on like a travel contract. So when Mm -hmm. I'm a travel nurse, I go wherever I'm needed or wherever I want to go, where there's a spot open. Um, And it's usually a 13 week contract. And so within the 13 weeks, I do about 700 bedside visits. Mm -hmm. Wow. And and what's in and what, what are you doing during the bedside visit? As a nurse, I'm just going in, um, doing a full nursing assessment, a medical okay. assessment to see where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's stages to the dying process, which I can go over. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to that. hear the stages yeah. of, cause you, you mentioned before when Wally was actively dying, that seemed like a different stage. So what are the, what are the stages? Um, so usually when someone comes on hospice or when they know that they are dying, you know, which I always, you know, some people look at me like they told me I was terminal and I'll be like, yeah, I'm terminal too. Like we all are. You know, and I kind yeah. of started at that. That's great. Yeah. Um, but usually a diagnosis is there to say you have less than six months to live. And so therefore you qualify for hospice services. So when people come on, usually, um, well, I guess it, it depends. Some people, it happens so fast and they come on hospice and they're already actively dying. But the stages are more of like there's a decline phase, which is where someone gets a diagnosis. They're not feeling well anymore. They're getting weaker. Um, maybe their appetite's declining. Um, they're having needing a lot more help in the home. Can't really do the normal activities that they would do on their own anymore. Um, then symptoms like pain, you know, shortness of breath, mm-hmm. which is very clearly ill and needing a lot more support. So that's the decline phase. Um, so usually patients like that, um, I would see like one or two times a week. And then there's a phase we call the transition phase. It's where there's a big change in condition. And usually this is the phase that I say people are between worlds. Mm. Because it's almost like they've got one foot here and one foot in a different realm. So the symptoms are really obvious. It's kind of like uh, agitation, like depending on what disease they have or how they're approaching death can show up as like, I don't really want to go towards death. So it'll show up as like more confusion, agitation, more anxiety, 
um, or just a big change in like not eating anymore, mm-hmm. not eating a whole lot anymore, sleeping more, um, spending more time in bed, having a hard time going to the bathroom on their own. So usually there's a big change. We say, okay, they're transitioning now. And then at that point, I usually start to see them every day, you know, just to prepare the family to, to go over, um, you know, as a nurse, we, we assess medications and make sure we have a cold comfort kit there. So mm-hmm. medications that can help relieve any symptoms that are uncomfortable. Um, and then when someone's actively dying, their body is going through the process of letting go. So it's a lot more symptom management. Um, and we're there every day and a, and a hospice team it involves a nurse. Um, he usually is the case manager and then a home health aide, someone that will help them shower, get a bed bath, a chaplain, um, to pray with them or just be there for, you know, to talk or have support. Um, and then a social worker to help make plans and make sure everything's in place. So a whole team, a whole team. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say that they're in like the transition, they have one foot in this world, one foot in another realm. Like, is there is there a story or something that 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 you think of to really bring that to life? I mean, it's a it's so common. Even today, I saw someone today that I have a story of. You know, um, she's transitioning, and Mm -hmm. I got there, and she said to me, "Um, "Am I here? Am I here still? I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm moving." You know, and I, and I just, I sit next to her and I say, it's okay. If you're starting to leave, that's totally fine. But yeah, you're here and you don't have to worry about anything that's happening here because we're here with you. And this patient, I've been telling her, you know, and educating her for weeks now of what to expect. So she's starting to have what are a lot of the in-between world symptoms that are kind of like what would be called hallucinations. Mm-hmm. I refer to them as visions because I've had so many people have beautiful visionary experiences at end of life. And if we call them hallucinations, people are less likely to tell us about them because they don't want to be deemed as crazy. Mm. So she was seeing birds. She told me she woke up a couple nights ago and half of the room was her bedroom, but the other half was kind of like a different reality. There was people in there talking. She didn't know who they were, but two older gentlemen that were talking. And so, yeah, and it's, wow. it's, it's like an everyday part of my world. And so it's so normal for me, um, mm-hmm. but it's always so magical in a sense, yeah. you know, like there's something really cool about it. Cause um, a lot of times it's really comforting for people to have these experiences. Like I had a patient last week who had, he told me and he wasn't aware that this was a vision, but he told me he had six visitors that day and he named off all the names of them. And he's pretty confused. You know, he's yeah. been having lots of visions too. And I left the room and his niece was like, her face was white. She's like, they've all passed away. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very common for people to see people in the room that have passed. Um, I had a patient a month ago it was really a really cool thing to witness because she was so anxious about coming towards end of life that the first time I came to see her, she had to take a couple different anti-anxiety meds just to be able to, to meet with me. Mm-hmm. She was really nervous, you know, sweet, sweet soul. 
Um, and then we got to talking and she's very spiritual. And I, I found that like comforting her of like reminding her that life is really short. It's like a breath in time. And, you know, there's going to be something waiting for you. And she was really, you know, she really had strong faith. So you kind of have to gauge people too to kind of see what will help them. But as soon as we started to open up the spiritual conversation, I could tell her anxiety was easing. And then about two days later, she called me and said, can you come over? I had something happen today and I'd like to talk about it. I get there and she was a totally different person. Like she was perky. She And, and she's getting very close to dying. You know, mm-hmm. she's all cancer, getting really close. And she said, I had an experience today and I'm not afraid anymore. And I said, well, what happened? So I woke up from my nap and there were these little angels in my room, like little kids, but they weren't kids and they weren't like you and I, they were, I think they were angels. And she's like, and they told me that your pain is from your cancer, um, but nothing to be afraid of. Everything's going to be totally fine and everything's perfect. And she, her anxiety went away and she passed peacefully quickly a week later. Wow. Yeah. And those are just things that have happened in the last month. <laughs> I was going to say, you just listed off just like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean. So it's nonstop. Uh, it's nonstop. What do you notice? Like what are what are different people's, I feel like there's probably a spectrum of people's approaches to to, to the transition process and to, to death at the end. Some people, like you mentioned, might be super anxiety written, super fearful, super not wanting to let go. Some people might be really peaceful. What have you noticed in the difference of approaches and also how those people have lived their life as they've approached the end? Yeah. Um, well, I would say that in hospice, we always have a saying that people die the way they've lived. Yeah, which is really true. You know, like if you've had someone that's really just been really angry their whole life, there's going to be a little bit more anger that comes out towards the end. Um, but if you have someone that's very much like, um, you know, I am so surrendered to the process and life has just been amazing, but I'm ready to be done. They tend to be smooth, you know. So it does seem like the personality kind of dictates that a little bit. Um, But I would say it depends on the situation too. Like if it's someone who is older and they feel like they've lived a full life and they've kind of completed the things that they want to, or they at least have accepted how their life has gone, they tend to be in more of a state of surrender and acceptance of like, okay, this is happening, you know, I'll just let it happen. And I noticed that there's not as much resistance there versus people who are like, I don't want to die. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think um, the worst agitation and resistance to death I've seen has been younger people who have young kids. And that's a hard one, you know, because they don't want to die. They want to be there for their families so that what that shows up is like fighting death, which is not, it's not um, as pleasant, you know, because it's a lot of trying to um, like literally fight it. Sometimes it looks like fighting, like trying to stand up while they're dying and things Mm. like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, how, how do you view the, the, the transition process? Like I'm, I'm, I'm assuming and tell me what your thoughts are here, but do you have, like, how do you view it personally as, as you, as you look forward at the end, like you said, we're all terminal. We all, we all, we all were born. So we're, therefore we're all terminal. What's your perspective on it as you look forward? On like what happens after death? Yeah. 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 
yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm very much surrendered to the mystery of it all, but just with what I've seen and, you know, what I've experienced and my own personal beliefs, I definitely believe there's a different reality waiting Mm -hmm. or that we change form. You know, I think the spirit lives on. I think the soul lives on. I really do believe that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty powerful. I, I mean, it, I feel like it's hard not to when you have experiences like this on a daily, weekly basis yeah. when yeah. you're watching people in their in their process and their journey with it. Definitely, and I think the experiences that have given me that faith the most is like people who are able to say like what they're seeing. You know, like right before they pass, I've had some people say things like like the sky is parting in front of me or I'm, I'm hearing like songs. Um, but I'd say it's always like the sigh of relief, the last breath, you know, I've had a patient who like, she was, she was so cute. Oh my gosh. I just love this patient so much. She could not wait to meet God. Like she was like, I have lived a full life. This has been awesome. And I know I'm going somewhere. She had a really strong, like Christian faith. Mm -hmm. He died and she opened her arms and goes that was her last breath and i was like oh my god (laughs) wherever she's going must be good that is (laughs) unbelievable yeah you know do you do you feel like as you said people people tend to die how they live i think that's that's a beautiful line do you think uh what what role do you think that faith plays in that and whatever level of faith or whatever type of faith that a person has i think that people that believe in something more than themselves or like a high, higher power have an easier time mm. I think um and there's nothing wrong with not believing too sure. you know I've had a bunch of patients that have no form of faith also have really good end-of-life experiences too mm. but I do notice it's easier because I think there's um the ability to kind of surrender the need to control it to something Versus being like kind of the master of your experience and having to understand it. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And and is the last breath, like, is it a clear thing when they're taking their last breath? Sometimes it is. Sometimes yeah. it's, um, you know, everyone's so different. Usually it's pretty clear because it tends to feel more of like a sigh. But there's been times where it's like you think they're taking their last breath and then you're waiting 30 seconds and they take another one. Wow. Yeah. And so sometimes waiting for that last one, it can last a long time. It feels like it could feel like hours, I'm sure, for families. Right, uh, right. I, I can imagine that it's got to be so helpful to have someone like you present there who's been around it because I, f- I feel like so much of the uncomfortability must come from the unknown of it. And when if you're dealing with a family member and just not knowing, but to have someone there, like your calming presence to just be like, yeah, this is what's happening. And to just hold that space. Do you, do you notice that that really helps shift the energy of the family of the process in general in the room? Oh, yeah, instantly. Cause there's so much anxiety around death and the unknown, you know? And so when someone comes into the room and sits down and has like a confidence with death, everyone else seems to calm down. You know, and that's where it's like, I think it's reassuring. Like if I come in and I sit down and I'm not anxious, I've seen this so many times, you know, I'm, I'm checking on them really calmly and really quietly. And I think people can sense like, okay, well, she's not afraid. So everything's okay. I can see families relax. Mm. Yeah. 
It's got to be a beautiful it. gift to to give them too, in in such a high stress moment. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean, hospice is an amazing, amazing program, and even just end of life doulas, like that role is becoming really popular. So just to have someone who can just sit there and and hold the space, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. So the difference between the hospice hospice nurse and end of life doula is a hospice nurse is more training or I mean is is an actual registered nurse end of life doula can just be the uh, a person holding that space. Yeah. Yep. So like let's say I I'm not working a contract because I like to take time off in between. That's kind of how I keep my balance. Mm-hmm. I've had to do this work like full time long term and I do get burnt out. Yeah. So I take time off in between. So if I have time off in between and I have someone reach out and say, hey, I have a family member, a loved one that is, you know, we just found out they're terminal. Um, I would be there to educate them um, and help them prepare for it. You know, if that means like creating a beautiful space or creating like a ceremony or just chit chatting about death until mm-hmm. everyone's kind of like, oh, OK, this is like not as scary yeah. as what it was going to be. Um, it just doesn't involve anything medical. So it's a mm-hmm. non-medical role. Got so it. it's similar to like a birth doula, which is really popular, you know, it's in our culture yeah. um, to have someone who's not quite the midwife, but is just there to like guide the mom through labor, you know, and I, and I see there's a, there's a huge parallel between birth and death. There's yeah, a how do you, how do you see that? How do you see the, like the, the circle or the cycle of life, the, the, the transition points on either end of our, of our experience? that they're almost the same. They mirror each other. It's really fascinating. You know, and I always, I I always tell people that too, of like, if they just don't quite understand what's going to happen, you know, because it's so overwhelming to get towards the end of life, especially if you haven't prepared yourself for it and like consciously thought about that it might happen. I always tell people like, it's just like birth, except you're going the other way out. You Mm -hmm. know, you have a whole team of people here. We know what to expect. It might not be comfortable. You might experience a lot of sensations, a lot of feelings, but we've got everything we need and we'll guide you through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of parallels. There's phases to it of like signs and symptoms to recognize that it's approaching. Um, right. Like when a woman's getting ready to actually go into labor. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's... Yeah. I, I... Go ahead. Sorry. No, go for it. I was going to say a lot of people like revert to childhood at end of life too. How so? Like uh, it's very common for people who are in their later years to call out for their mom and dad. Mm. Mm. Do you think that could also be them seeing them or experiencing them in a different realm or different world? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Not really sure, but it's definitely common. Yeah. There's certainly a cycle to it. I, I, I read I read this line somewhere. I can't remember where, but it was something like it's a cliche line. that's like live your you know, when you were born, you were the only one crying and everyone around you was smiling. Live your life so that when you pass, you're the one smiling. And everyone around you is crying. Something like that. Have you heard that one? I've heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I agree. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a parallel. It certainly is. It makes you think about it like the the, the circle and the cycle. Um, I, I'm curious, Sarah, to hear from, from your perspective, it seems like it, it has to be heavy at sometimes. Is there some situations where it can be heavy and, and how do you 
how are you able to show up while also maintain some separation or balance um, to, to have it not affect you in potentially negative ways outside of the work that you do? Yeah, um, like when I first started, it was definitely heavier and harder to keep that balance. I've had to learn how to do that for sure. Um, one of the main things is not getting uh, attached to other people's emotions or like feeling like I'm the cause of any of it. Um, so really there's like a detachment that has to happen, you know, otherwise you're taking on people's stuff and it's not necessary. So mm -hmm. the space holder, it's like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do what I, I know how to do to the best of my ability. So there's like a responsibility there of like, okay, if I cover all of my bases, you know, especially as a nurse, have I looked at all of the symptoms? Have I looked at all of the medications? Have I kind of talked to the doctors and made sure I've, I've did all that I can? If I do that, I feel like, okay, I've done all I can and now it's out of my control because we can't control how death goes. Sometimes you, we want it to be so beautiful and it ends up being very messy and a little bit traumatic on family, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I've just kind of accepted that that's part of it. Um, so kind of just showing up with that mindset of like, I can only do so much and not attaching to, um, me being the thing that will make any of this better or make anyone's emotions different than they are. Um, mm. I'm there to witness and to give what I know and to do all that I can in that moment. And then when I leave, I've gotten really good about leaving, you know, like actually not bringing it home with me not sitting at home being like, oh, did I say the right thing? Did I do, did I do the right thing? Did I mm -hmm. order the right medication? You know, it's, how, I think that's such a valuable point. Cause I know there's a lot of my, my little sister just became a nurse uh, about a year ago and yeah. she's working in the uh, cardiothoracic ICU. So she's dealing with some like lots of stuff, intense stuff. And, yeah. you know, and she said she, she had such a hard time sleeping the first you know, month or couple months. Cause she was like, you know, in her head at night, she'd be like replaying like, did I, did I give the right medicine? Like, did I double check this chart? And I can imagine that's tough. And, and now that she's, you know, a year in, she's definitely had the experience and the repetition, I think helps in trusting yourself with it. But I think that's a, it's a valuable point across the board and whatever, whatever profession it is you do, however you're showing up. I think that it's, it's easy, especially for some types of people or empaths to take on a lot of other people's stuff. How, what are some, what is some advice that you have to people just in general who find themselves taking on some of the emotions or energy of people around them to be able to actually like leave that at home and leave that before you go home and to leave that where it belongs and to hold strong in that? Yeah, I would. That's a good question. I would say ritual is a big one for me. Okay. Like when I started out, I had to do something where like I got in the car and I either was like taking breaths or I would put on a, a song and sing while I'm going to the next person or on the way home. Um, some type of ritual to be like a transition space. Um, you know, when I've had really difficult deaths, when it hasn't gone ideally, um, or family was really upset, you know, I've, I've made sure to set a space for that. If I do carry it home, it's like, okay, I'm gonna light a candle and like give this up, you know, mm. and let, let my heart feel this one and maybe take a bath, do something to take care of myself. Um, so self-care is huge. You know, if you're not taking good care of yourself and eating well and drinking enough water and like really sticking to the basics, this stuff could be detrimental to health really, yeah. you know, that's, 
That's great. It's a great answer. The basic, yeah. the the basics, the the, the right. simple but not easy stuff. The basics, yeah. like oh yeah, you get some vitamin D, you get some sunshine, you get some outside oh. air, you breathe a little bit, you put good food into your body, you drink water, you take care of yourself. Then it has a that's the foundation. It's, it has a ripple effect. And have boundaries, really strong boundaries, because there are times where families will attach to me versus yeah. me, you know, attaching to them where it's like, we want to talk to you after your hours and we would like it if you would come by again, you know, and if it's not within my set hours, like I'm very clear about, okay, I have, I'm going home because I got to mm-hmm. take care of myself, but here's another option. You could call this person, you can call this phone number or here's some education, you know? So having good boundaries about like when I go home, I'm at home. That's good. That's important. I feel like it's got to be difficult though, to because you want to say yes, right? You want it's so easy oh, to say yes, sure. and I have, and that's how I know not to do it because like yeah. I have totally taken the after hours calls. I have sat and ruminated about visits, and you know, stayed up all night thinking about if I did the right thing before. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I had to learn from like getting burnt out quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, practice. And then also just developing like your beliefs on um, just all of it, you know, like for me, like at first I used to have like more ritual things that would get me to, to let go of the visit or the experience before I would move on to the next or go home. And now, like a lot of people ask like, well, what do you do to like manage that? And like, oh, I just, now I just trust, like, it's the state of being of like, I just trust I'm protected. I I trust that I'm not carrying any of this with me. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a set intention in myself. So, but it, that took 10 years. Right. <laughs> you know? It's beautiful. It's It sounds like a combination of that, the quality reps with the basics and, and creating right. those boundaries, but it just takes the quality reps 10, 10 years. Yeah. 10 years later, you can be able to say it confidently from that space, but which is yeah. which is I think a really really insightful takeaway too that it's just, it takes time to build that trust it doesn't happen overnight you just don't decide okay I'm going to trust and tomorrow it's going to be okay but you've got to be dedicated to building it over time yeah so so you've been over ballpark over 500 active deaths you've been you've been a part of what what has that taught you about living I think it just taught me how to live more fully you know in what ways yeah, um, just like really honoring death every day while living, like knowing that death could come at any point and we can't control it. There's something about recognizing that every day that does make me feel like I'm living more fully, like mm. more present in my life, more aware of how special the small things really are, um, honoring relationships more, you know, because I really have learned a lot from people's regrets at end of life because mm. they teach me what, what, with what they're going through. And a lot of people will even say like, please don't make the same mistake I did. You know, people really? want to give advice at end of life too. Mm-hmm. We, what, yeah. What's some, what's some powerful advice that you've received end of life or hearing people tell you don't make the same mistakes or regrets that I have. It's mostly about like what the people have focused on. Um, so like, a good example would be this fellow that I took care of who was a millionaire, had a huge house, had all the things, didn't have good relationships with his kids at all. You know, he 
he was very much about making money and he was a powerful force, you know, he was a strong business owner. And when he got to the end of life, he was absolutely shook. You know, he was like, I've been focusing on money. Like money's been my God. My kids don't really like me. And I feel all this regret about the way I live. Cause I'm just now realizing as death is approaching that all of this doesn't matter actually. Mm-hmm. Like who's going to, who's going to get my money, you know, who's going to take all these things that I've possessed now. So, um, that's a big one. It's like not focusing so much on money and working, um, having better relationships with family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, there's a saying that my grandma always says to us, which is the, the final draft. And she says it in Arabic or or French or Hebrew or some foreign language that sounds much better, but the, the, it translates to, um, uh, the, the final dress has no pockets. Like the, when, when you get buried in the white shroud, like there's no pockets, you can't take anything with you. And, and I always found that like, that always has stuck with me. Um, and, and to your point too, about the relationships and focusing on, I think it's a st- stoic philosophy, memento mori, or that comes, I think, I think maybe from stoics of just like remembering death is a powerful thing. My, my grandma just, just flew back home to Israel, um, just this past week to go visit uh, a couple of her friends who are old and approaching the end. And it was, it was, it actually had a big impact on me because I was having a conversation with her about it. And she's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to leave here right now, but I have to, like, these are my people. Like I have to. And I was thinking about, well, if if I knew it was kind of, kind of morbid, but it was also very beautiful when I was, I was thinking like, if my best friends, I don't care where they were at in the world. If I knew that they were approaching the end of life and I had one more chance to go sit with them and see them, like. I'm getting on that next flight, like no doubt about that. So it really did shift my perspective to, to, to one of gratitude for the relationships that you do have, especially because like you said, I mean, things happen and, and we, we, there's things that are out of our control when it comes to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a wild thing. So the, the relationships is a, is a big one honoring those relationships. Big one. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of healing happen at the end of life. You know, it's, it's funny because a lot of times um, like a hospice nurse or people who work at end of life, it seems kind of like, well, you doesn't it, isn't it hard? Cause you can't heal anyone. You know, there's kind of like this energy there of like, it must be really hard because you don't make anyone better. Right. But you don't, you don't save anybody's life, Yeah, <laughs> but maybe right. you could argue that you do. Right. Yeah. And there, but the healing happens in different ways. Like any suppressed emotions or traumas tend to come out end of life. And that's why I always tell people like focus on addressing that stuff now, mm. like before you get to end of life, because it's going to be too much then to have to process through everything that comes up because the veil is so thin, you know, so like a lot of traumas will come up. Um, but something I've seen be really um, beautiful at end of life for some patients is like the healing of relationships. Like I had a younger fellow that he had terrible agitation, like the worst case I've ever seen of like getting up so weak, but trying to like walk around the house and falling constantly trying to punch us and push us. And I mean, we put him on so much medication too, mm-hmm. things that would usually knock someone out and it didn't touch this guy at all. Wow. And I talked to the family and like, like, what's, what is this? Like, we feel like we're missing something. Is there someone he needs to talk to? Is there someone that hasn't visited him? And they said, there's a son that he hasn't talked to in like 16 years. Mm. And so they got a hold of him. He came and visited and they had a beautiful, beautiful visit together. And he was peaceful after that. 
Mm. You know, like some people really need that closure. And I've noticed, especially with parents, like they'll wait until they see their children um, or some type, type of little piece is put into place. Yep. Yep. Big time. That, that, that happened with my dad and his mom, my grandma, like she waited and she was, you know, she was in a coma at this point. So she was out, but and you know, he came and grabbed her hand and said like, it's okay. Like you can go. And then within minutes <laughs> after days, like within minutes, you know, within a minute, she, she passed right then, which is it's just, it's so insane, huh? These, the stories are just like, they're, they're really moving. They really, really are. And it's, it, it's so common. You know, and it really it makes you question everything. You know, they were probably saying grandma's in a coma and mm-hmm. she's not aware of her surroundings, but you know, she waited for him. And that yep. is so common. If someone is hanging on, like I had a patient one time who, oh, she was so sweet. And her husband just had taken care of her for like 15 years. And when there's like a strong bond like that, especially husband and wife at the end of life, the, their love can sustain each other. Mm. For a long time, like someone can be in the actively dying phase, which means their body is shutting down super long, like longer than you would even imagine. Wow. And this little lady, I couldn't even get a blood pressure on her. She hadn't had anything to eat in weeks. Her body stayed like that for so long. And I was like, okay, she's hanging on for something. Cause that's always the thing. If someone's not letting go, there's a reason. And um, I talked to him about it, the husband, because he would just sit there and hold her hand all day, like just feed her all this love. And he was so sweet to her. I was like, well, maybe he hasn't told her like it's okay to go. Because sometimes that's all it takes is someone to say you can let go. To give it's you permission. Okay. Mm-hmm. To give you permission. And if that doesn't work, usually it's like, okay, who has to come say goodbye? <laughs> like, right, who are right. this? And then um, a family member came and saw her and she passed five minutes later. Wow. You know, just like your grandma, it's it's so common. Or it's the opposite, where usually this is with moms um, who don't want their children to see like strong stoic moms. Mm. Or like, I don't, they don't want, want to show to weakness. Yep. I don't want my kids to know that I'm not feeling well or that I'm not doing well. They'll wait until they leave the room and then. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. That that will to that it's you've seen you see this under a microscope every every day, but the 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 purpose or the will to live, how it can ex, ex, exceed and expand past our physical limits. What have you learned about that? How it can exceed our limits. The will, yeah. I've seen it both ways, where it can exceed it in terms of living much longer than imaginable like how can someone take eight breaths a minute for two weeks in a row things like that where i'm like i don't know how they're alive you know right then it's like the spirit or something is is the strength Mm. you know or the family is the strength i've seen um situations where this one was in a hospital because i was actually an er nurse before going to hospice so on the other spectrum of like resisting and fighting death sometimes we did have people at end of life there and um, I remember someone telling me a story about um, a family that was surrounding a patient in the hospital and they would sing to the patient and the vitals would start to go up the heart Mm -hmm. rate would get higher the oxygen would go back up 
and then they would stop singing and it, the vitals would go down. So that kind of shows me and kind of confirms some beliefs I have about like that we are all very connected. Yeah. Um, but then I've seen it where people have willed themselves to die way sooner than I expected mm. to. Yeah. I had a patient who um, her husband passed like three weeks before she came on hospice and she's like, I'm ready to go. I want to go be with him and I'm going to make this fast. I remember being like, you're still walking around with your walker. Like you've got so much energy. You know, I didn't want to tell her that it wasn't going to happen, you know, cause I've learned not to even give my opinion on that. Unless mm. I've seen symptoms of someone getting close, you can give a little bit more of a timeline. Um, so it's like, okay, well, you know, we'll see how things go, but right now you're doing pretty good and this is what you can expect. And then two days later, I went to see her and completely different. Like she was starting to shift pretty quickly. And she said, yeah, I'm going to see my husband. I was like, okay, I really believe her. Like you're really finding really fast. And then a couple of days later, she was in, in her bed, um, actively dying with his picture at her bedside. And she passed that night. I mean, oh my goodness. Less than a week, probably. Wow. From walking around energetic, yep. seemingly healthy, older woman to pass. Yep. Yeah. Wow. She's like, it's my time. I'm ready. And I'm ready to go see him. And I'm going to will myself too. And yeah. she did. Yeah. And it, she didn't do anything extra. Like, it's not like she was, you know, taking any extra medications to speed things up or anything like that. So. Right. Is that's that's insane. Is there a is there a specific experience uh, or person? It sounds like Wally was a pretty was a pretty significant one for you in, in your journey. Is there is there a specific person or, or situation that that really left a mark with you or a relationship that you really you built and learned a lot from? Yeah, definitely. There's one recently, and the family has given me permission to speak about her story because it was so mm. beautiful. Her name's Patty. Um, Patty was just a beam of light. Like she was so full of life. Um, but she was a unique case because she had gotten some terminal diagnosis and one of them was dementia Mm. and, you know, she had lived with a lot of chronic conditions for a long time and she was seeking palliative care and decided for herself because her dementia was advancing pretty quickly, um, that she wanted to come on to, hospice to do um, what's called VSED, which is voluntarily stopping eating and drinking. It's fairly new. It's kind of like, um, you know, medical aid and dying is still pretty taboo. Mm-hmm. This is one form where people who can make that decision for themselves and they have a terminal diagnosis can stop eating and drinking voluntarily. And so she had really been a perfect example of like what I would hope end of life would look like. She prepared for it. She had um, everything, all of her plans set in place. She made her wishes known to everyone. Um, and she really embraced end of life. And she wanted to change the, the way we talk about it in the culture. Um, so she really wanted to be exa- an example for how to die well. And she did. She really did. Mm-hmm. And it was really beautiful to witness. You know, She stopped eating and drinking and um, passed fairly quickly after that. And the whole time she was, you know, there's lots of pain because she was leaving behind loved ones. Um, but she was very much like, I'm, I'm not afraid of death. And I, I really trust that it's my time. And I know I'm going to go on to do other things. 
outside of just this life and this body that I'm in. And she wow. wanted to choose that for herself before she couldn't make decisions and be put into a nursing home for dementia, you know, cause that weighs heavily on families. And so, yeah, she really is inspiring. Perfect- yeah. It's inspiring to see that, that, that fortitude and belief at the end there when it's like, it's easy to talk about it now when, when, when you're our age to be thinking like, yeah, that's how I want to do it. But it's another thing to see it in action then. Yeah. Yep. And it just shows that when you prepare yourself for it, like mm-hmm. how it can, if you can um, embrace it, you know, like there'd be times where she would be like falling asleep while sitting up just so weak and open her eyes and be like, oh, I'm so grateful for this experience. This is so cool. You know, like <laughs> she really, she really enjoyed it. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. Is there any, is there any, um, uh, innovation in end of life care or helping in transition like that that sounds like that's a new thing the voluntarily um giving up food and food and drink like is there any new therapies or any new innovations when it comes towards end of life transition um new that are like actively in the system i'd say not really mm-hmm. um it's pretty standard across the US of like the comfort kit medications that are used um, and it's proven to work very well. Yeah. Um, I would say like there are new and emerging things, you know, like use of psychedelics and plant medicines and alternative ways of dying. So tell me, can you a- tell me a little bit more about that? That's, that seems very interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know a whole lot. I've mm-hmm. read a couple of books, you know, and I've had experiences too, of like being in situations like that with people mm-hmm. in ceremony spaces. Um, but a lot of these plant medicines are showing that they help relieve end of life anxiety, especially because um, many people who have sat in a plant medicine ceremony know that you do have an experience of death, right? You know, of like um, the end of your being. So when people experience that, the fear goes away. Like there's this mm-hmm. realization of wow, death isn't something to be afraid of. So there's lots of studies happening. Um, I wouldn't be able to tell you specifically. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, it, but it it's it is interesting because when you were talking about the the process of like letting go and surrendering and releasing, I was recalling an experience that I had sitting in ceremony with psilocybin and a very similar process of like feeling like resistance, 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 and then like the release with it. And similar to when I was in a sweat lodge in Iceland, um, with just a sweat lodge, right? Just temperature, no, 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 met, no plant medicines there. Like very, very, very similar experience of like this kind of like building up and then this release and this peace that comes with that as well. And this kind of comfortability and, and how that's also translated to all different areas of my life. I, I get those micro doses. Every time I work out is a micro dose of that. It's a micro dose of like, you're building all this tension. How can you like relax into it? How can you, that's why I love the cold tub, the ice tub. How can you relax into that intensity of that moment? So I was drawing some parallels to that when you were talking about the end of, end of, end of life. Is this something that you see as well? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I haven't had a lot of people that have worked with plant medicines or have had experiences of, um, dying in a sense dying before Mm -hmm. you die um but the ones that have it's you can tell there's less fear for sure or there's practice there in that space you know i had a patient um oh so funny he um he had a bunch of friends with him they were playing the beatles and like five minutes before he passed 
I kind of see he's really looking around the room because people, you can tell they're having experience when they start to look around or they're grabbing out at the air. He was looking around and I was kind of holding him up because he was more comfortable sitting up. I said, are you seeing anything? And he was like, oh yeah, it's just like the (laughs) seventies, you know, (laughs) he was having like what he would explain as a psychedelic experience. Yeah. Um, And they all kind of, the whole group of friends just kind of started giggling. Um, So I've I've seen people who have worked with plant medicines and they definitely like um, have a perspective of death, not something to be afraid of. Yeah. But even things like people have had a history of panic attacks because even panic attacks can take you into that space of like, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. Mm. And then finally releasing of like, oh, and I didn't die. But Mm. I met that sense, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's... uh so fast uh, the story i'm just getting chills left and right i've gotten chills like 20 times and we've been having this conversation <laughs> it <doesn't> do that <laughs> it, it will huh it seems like it's a it, it is a moving process and i love the idea of the the, the building the ritual around it and I, and look I, I i almost feel like you know you're you're lucky if you can get to the point in old age where you can prepare for it this way right like that's that seems like the goal you know there's so many tragedies where people don't end up having the to the ability to prepare in those ways. And so it seems like the best case scenario getting towards end of life and being able to to be accepting with it, to be okay with it, to 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 feel that process. And and I think that that's a that's a great uh I'm I'm inspired to continue to and, and really focus on living my life in a way where like you know that's the end that's the destination right like that's the destination that we're all headed so how can we how can we prepare in a sense like we're preparing for it now every day we're we're preparing for it and how can we prepare for that transition in a a beautiful way that that allows us to live and and get the most out of out of life here yeah absolutely you know with having a baby soon every day i'm preparing for the ceremony birth Every day I'm doing something to educate myself or practice something to help me go through the process of labor. Yeah. And it's very similar to end of life, you know, like every day if we're preparing to meet it, it's just going to hopefully right. go smoother. Yeah. And at least, at least in our minds and our hearts, we can just be more open to it no matter yeah. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, Sarah. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, hours flown by very quickly as it tends to do when <laughs> we dive into. <laughs> yep, that was an hour. That was a full hour right there. It's we'll crazy. Have to do part two. I, I think like- I, I know. I feel like we we've just kind of scratched the surface. I want to do part two, and then maybe we need a part three of just like all. Like I want to just get all of the vision stories of like all of the craziest visions that you <laughs> that that you that you've had people see. Just like. Get hit with the chills left, right, left, right, nonstop. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, but is there anything that you want to share with the listeners as we uh, as we wrap up here? No, no, just just live fully. Embrace every moment. You know, love your loved ones. Don't be afraid to talk to people who are dying. Mm. Don't be afraid to be to get yourself in there and really experience it too. And and because I think as a community, we push death to the side. We don't talk about it enough. We don't know what it looks like enough. But if everyone can start to understand it a little bit more and be closer to it, I think we're going to be much better off as a global community, be able to support people through that process and and support ourselves through that too. So. Yeah. 
That's yeah. that's certainly beautiful. I love that. Well, thank you. What you say? If people have questions, um, awesome. I'm here to talk about it, and I'd like to support anyone if they have any questions or just want to talk about an experience they had. That's great. Thank you. We'll definitely make sure we uh, we get your information passed along. So, uh, Sarah, on, on behalf of all of humanity, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the work that you're doing and being able to be that light and and uh, hold that space for people. And what 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 sounds like and can can be a really beautiful transition and that, that simple. What the uh, what the creator calls a butterfly, the caterpillar calls the end of the world. Right? There's a line something like that that I love so much. Yeah. So um, that's it. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Excited to, to do this again. Um, best of luck to you through the rest of the pregnancy and uh, we'll look forward to stay posted. Thanks so much. Okay, take care.